my name is uh, Tom Kurz. This is my wife, um, Dr. Charity Kurz. Um, I'm actually the director for Chi Alpha at The Ohio State University, and she is the Child Life Director at Radiant Life Church in Dublin, Ohio. Um, she also goes by uh, Jedi Master, according to our Chi Alpha students. They knighted her as a Jedi Master, and she also is a pastor as well. So um, we um, have been, in a ways, is doing small groups through Chi Alpha on our campuses, as well as in our churches, and teaching how, uh, in, in small group mindset, it was, we need to be uh, more missional-minded rather than just, um, let's get together with our friends. We only have one microphone, so the problem is, is that we're going to have to switch this thing back and forth, okay? So I'll just keep it for now. Hi, I'm Charity, um, and like Tom said, we've done small groups for a lot of years. Like, we did small groups when they weren't cool. You know, when people are like, ew, what's that thing you're doing at your house, you know? And so um, we, we've done them for, are you laughing? Because no, yeah, have that, have that had that experience. So we've done them for a long time. And um, pretty much today, I just want to be very clear up front that this might blow your mind just a little bit. Not because of what I'm teaching is so great or that, you know, um, these theories are so awesome. They're just so different from what we're used to, 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 to knowing about small groups. And so we're going to talk basics. We're going to move you through the basics of what small groups are and into something we now call missional communities. Have you ever heard that term, missional community? So we're going to cover that term today. There's a lot of content. I'll make sure that I give you my email as well as a place to be able to get some of these resources um, today as well. So some by the time we're done today, I'd really like you to be able to identify the purpose of small groups and identify gospel identity. We're going to talk about gospel identity. Um, stating the steps to grow small groups. How do you actually grow them? What's step one? What's step two look like? Um, being able to identify your current rhythms. That's a, a pretty popular term within missional communities. What's a rhythm? Each of us have our own daily rhythms, but what's a rhythm of a small group look like? We're going to talk about that and how to adjust to new ones, and then being able to evaluate what we call your up, in, and out times within your small group ministries. How many in here lead a small group currently? How many of you are in charge of small group ministries in your church? Okay, then why, are, why is everybody else here? What do you... <laughs> okay, all right, good. That's good to know, because like half of you didn't raise your hand, so I don't know what you are trying to gain from this. So let's just take a second. What do you want to gain from today? Why, why did you pick this session? Not because it wasn't the only one that wasn't full or something, but yeah. Hi, Bob. I'm going into Right. Yeah, awesome. Very cool. Monique? So how do you engage your community? Yeah. Yeah, and that's why oh, I just bumped the table. That's not good. That's what we're going to um, talk about today, a little bit of engaging the community. Um, so purpose of small groups, right? Jesus really had the first life group or the small group recorded in Scripture, if you think about it. It was the first time that people got together and they did what we call life on life. That's a term in Chi Alpha that's really, really popular, meaning that we actually do life together. We eat together. We shop together. We create together. We're together, and we invite them into every part of our life, and that's what Jesus did. You know, think about it. He was always with people, except for those moments he kind of slipped away to go pray and be on his own, but he traveled with people. He ate with people. He did life with people. And so we've seen small groups protect and not neglect the large group. In fact, the health of small groups will reflect the, the health of the large group. So when we're talking about from a church setting, hi Connie, we're talking about from a church setting, um, that small groups are something that hopefully can protect the larger group, the larger church. We know that. And that's one of the reasons why people are tempted to run, start running small groups, right? It's a place for people to connect. It's relationship building, um, especially to new people who come into your church. And if you're, running, if you're in a large church where sometimes it's a little less personal, small groups allow for that personal connection. So authentic connections with each other. We meet needs. I think about the book of Acts, um, people meeting in each other's homes, being together, doing life together. Did you have something you wanted to say? I wanted to sit somewhere. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> Leadership opportunities. Purpose of small groups is that we allow people to be empowered, right, to lead small groups. Because I don't know about you, but like before I started leading a small group, I kept going, there's no way. I, I don't know enough Bible. Like, I don't know enough about this. I didn't go to Bible college. Like, how... 
how can I possibly lead a small group? But small groups allow people to take on leadership opportunities, ownership of ministry within the church. And one of my favorite parts is that it develops more leaders. Because as you are working together and you're doing that life together, you're able to see leadership qualities in people that they might not even see in themselves. And so when we were running small groups, one of the great things is that we're able to identify small group leaders. Yes? Do you want to talk in the microphone? Um, you know, just like in your churches, it doesn't mean everybody's qualified to take care of uh, the infant room, but they're willing to help. Um, really, the easiest way for people to do small groups is to come alongside if you already have one and, and, and work with you. But nobody knows all the answers. Nobody's perfect. I mean, we tell our students at Chi Alpha is, is no question is a stupid question, but also if we don't know the answers, we're going to say we don't know it, but we're going to try to find the answer together. So small groups is, is, just, is doing it together in life. You know, that's what we're talking about. Yep. So praying for each other, being able to use that time to really get to know people and get to know their needs. You know, um, one, of my, one of the things that's hard for me as a pastor is on Sunday mornings, you know, I'll have people come up and they say, hey, I just want you to know this is going on in my life. And it's this huge digundo thing. And it's like I'm getting ready to teach the children's lesson. And I want to help this person. I want to pray for this person. I want to help them in that moment. And I can't. You know, in the small group environment, it sets itself up for that. It sets itself up to be able to pray and to be able to pour into people that way. Reaching pre-Christians. We look at Matthew 28, where Jesus talks about we are fishers of men, right? We're fishers of men. It doesn't say we're fishers of Christians. We're fishers of men, right? We're fishers of people. And so those are some of the basic purposes of our small groups. But typically, the culture of our small groups is that small groups are only for people at our church, Right? There are ways to get people connected. Yes, we know that. There are ways to um, um, help people feel like they have a home. Right? But there's this shift that I'm going to be talking about, you to, talking about with you today that small groups just maybe, small groups are not just for people in our church. Maybe small groups are for people in our neighborhoods. Small groups are for people in our communities who know nothing about Jesus or may have had bad experiences in the past and wouldn't touch church with a 10-foot pole. So this is one of my favorite. I love this cartoon. It says, Pastor Marv, we can't revive our church by implementing small groups. We are a small group, right? (laughs) So I love that cartoon. It makes me laugh every time. So what are some steps to growing a small group? Tom's going to talk to you about that a little bit today. These are just the basics. So, um, first one, pray intentionally. Well, yes, I hope we all pray intentionally about things going on in our lives. But pray intentionally on the people group, the age group. Um, if, it's, if, you're, if you're looking for singles or you're looking for fit people with families, um, you know, if you're going to open up your house to have the small group, are you okay with having kids there? Pray intentionally for types of people. If you're wanting to, really, if you're wanting to communicate more with the Muslim community, Lord, what ways can I get in to sharing and talking and with Muslims? Um, so besides just saying pray intentionally, you know, there's a purpose behind pray intentionally, you know, focus. Be transparent. Be willing to share that you are not perfect. This is counterculture. You know, um, by you, you know, yes, we, we come from a mindset where we have to always guard ourselves. And yes, you probably will get hurt by sharing things that have gone on in your life. But if you're not willing to share who you are and where you've come from in your life, why would somebody else? Um, three, it says, help pre-Christians feel com- comfortable. People that don't know Christ come from, I mean, whether it's another religious background or have never been to church, your first connection with them should not be that you need to know Jesus but about building a connection and a relationship with them or finding a common interest and a bond that you guys can um, connect together. And then through you sharing life experiences and stories, you know, naturally what's going to come out of you is who you are in Christ. It should naturally then be a part of who you are, and that's going to then introduce them. So it's, it's, it's not really, it's getting together, going out for coffee. How's life? How, how's your kids? Um, you know, for us, is, is we, we have done a, um, we've set up a coffee table out at the end of our street, and um, my son is in the elementary school. Oh, I can't, darn it. Oh, I'm sorry. All right, I'll skip to that. I'll skip to that. Coffee a little bit. Another story. Um, 
Avoid divisive issues. Issues that are going to cause people to get heated. I mean, really? Like right now, please don't have any political conversations yes. in your small group or with your neighbors. It's probably not a good thing to do. It's not going to, you know, if it's not going to help, then, you know, try not to make it worse, right? Uh, five is, you know, don't go too deep too quickly. I have, uh, you know, for me, as I was talking to a student from China the other day who really wants to read the Bible, he's never read the Bible, and he's like, where do I start? And I told him the book of John. It helped gives him an introduction to Christ and why we have Christ. Because he was going to start a Genesis. And, I, and he goes, well, shouldn't I start at the beginning? And I said, well, it's, it's kind of like a big book of many small books. And I said, Genesis is a great book, but I'd rather you start in John and read Matthew, and then we'll jump over to Genesis, because we'll learn about creation. But if we don't understand that Jesus is a part of it, then jumping into creation. So there's just, it's just the process that we do with Chi Alpha, and introducing people to Christ, and that especially doesn't want to read books. So, you know, I don't want them to go right into Acts, and I definitely don't want them to read Revelations. <laughs> we were joking about this with some, some students. What were the five books that we wanted to read? Revelations, Acts, um, Numbers, Numbers, Song of Solomon's, and Leviticus. Like, you know, you don't want to start there. <laughs> um, but that was, you know, that was a joke between a lot of our students who have known Christ and love sharing Christ with others. But, and then six is being, you know, again, building the authentic relationships. If you're not willing to be real with them, why is somebody else going to want to be real with you? Invite people into your life. They stayed in our home, so they had dinner with, with us. They got to see how we interacted with our kids. And my son, my four-year-old, threw a temper tantrum, and he's like, Bleh! you know, they got to see me like, okay, we don't behave this way. Okay, I think we're going to have to get a spanking. Like, we had to do the whole thing. They got to, and I mean, obviously, I didn't do that in front of them, but like, the, to see the behavioral piece. And so it was funny, at the end of the week, I thought, oh, man, what are they going to go back and tell their friends at Wright State or their campus pastors who are also our friends? And um, they said to us, yeah, the people that spoke right before us, they're, they're the campus pastors there. But um, anyway, so the one girl said to me, she says, I just wanted to thank you for inviting us into your life this week. She says, we got to see you, like, work with your kids and see how the two of you interact and to see how you love people. And, like, it was just really cool. And it kind of, like, was one of those moments where you're like, okay, like, the authenticity thing, even though you think you're failing and even though they see those sides of you that you're like, oh, I hate that part of myself, right? <laughs> they got to see that, and it spoke volumes to them. And so inviting people into your life is so important, and this will help you to lead them to Jesus because they're going to see how you respond. Um, and training leaders through mentoring relationships, building mentoring relationships, allowing the Lord to show you who's someone that's open, who's teachable, who's faithful, who's available, that you can pour into. I always use the analogy of um, like pitchers of water or pitchers, right? If I'm a pitcher and I'm full of water and I want to pour into somebody else, I want their pitcher to be empty and ready to be poured into, right? But if they turn their pitcher upside down, like being not teachable, that water going everywhere is going to be, it's just going to be a mess, like if I go to pour. And so just being teachable and being able to, to find people that you can mentor. So some relationships within and outside our, our small groups. Relationships really help to unlock the authenticity in your small groups. They're, they're the key to everything that you do, you know? Um, when I first meet somebody, I don't say, hi, my name's Charity, I love Jesus, how about you? You know, I might say, hey, my name's Charity, you want to grab a cup of coffee? Because that's the thing that I like. I like to sit, I like to have coffee. That's really easy. We always have, we have said this for years. Young people will tell you anything over a cup of coffee because they feel comfortable, they feel um, valued because you're listening to them. So we meet the needs in the context of a relationship, okay? And so when we have a relationship, we know what those needs are. We help to meet those needs. When we find out our neighbor, you know, needs something, we're able to say, hey, let me help you with that because you have built relationship with them and they're willing to receive that from you. But it takes relationship building and it takes time. It doesn't mean that, you know, just because you greet your neighbor five times that you're going to have a really great relationship with them. Relationship is time. Think about your relationship with Jesus. You can't say you have a relationship with Jesus if you aren't spending time with him, right? 
So it's the same with people. You've got to spend time. You have to be willing to invest, okay? We can't have relationships without having people. <laughs> so invite people. You know, one of the things we tell our core group leaders um, at, at, we call them core groups at, at um, uh, Ohio State, is that we can't expect our, our core group people members to bring people if we're not bringing people, right? If you're saying, oh, bring a friend next week, and I'm the leader of the group, and I never bring a friend, neither are the people in my core group. They're not going to bring friends either. You know, if I'm never inviting anybody in, I'm modeling that as a leader, and so I've got to be willing to do that too, and even if the answer is no. Uh, mentoring relationships, we covered this just briefly two slides before, but they're birthed out of, initial, of, out of an initial relationship and a heart connection. How do you make that connection with someone? You guys have people in your life that you just super connect with. Like, you just, it's so weird and it's kind of bizarre, but it's just so easy to connect with that person. It's not any work. It doesn't ever feel like it's work. And they're those people, too, that you could be away from them for a really long time, and as soon as you guys get back together, it's like you catch up right where you left off. Those are those kinds of relationships that you're looking for in mentoring. Jesus did not choose everyone to mentor. He was very intentional and very specific about the people that he chose to mentor. He had his 12, and he spent time mentoring them, but even out of those 12, there were a few that he poured into a little bit more. Mentoring cannot and should not be forced, okay? If someone doesn't want to be mentored, you're not going to be able to mentor them. That whole faithful, available, and teachable... We call it, okay, so faith, yeah, that's exactly what we say, and our students giggle every time. You look for people that are fat, faithful, available, and teachable, okay? So what does mentoring look like? What is mentoring to you? A couple ideas. What is mentoring? Yeah, Monique. Yep. So someone being able to talk to you and having a relationship in such a way that they're not embarrassed by the things that they have questions about, yeah. That's a characteristic of a mentoring relationship. I also say it's hot. I always say it's hot and fat. Yeah. Um, honest, open, and transparent. Oh, good, yeah. I like that one. Yeah. I want some hot guys. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so terrible. Yeah. It goes well for what? Yeah, from the pulpit, I'm sure it goes real well. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Dr. Earl Krebs writes a book called Reverse Mentoring. If you ever get a chance to read it, it's pretty fantastic. But it's about this idea of mentoring going both ways. That I can have someone who's older than I am with much more experience mentoring me, but then also I can mentor that person. So it's a back and forth kind of relationship. I would say Kay Gross and I are a lot that way. You, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Right. Right. And how you own them and how you apologize when it's necessary or how you go to that person. And it's gonna, it'll try you. It'll really try you because, you know, if you have a hard time owning up to mistakes that you make and you, create, you made a, mis, a pretty large mistake in front of someone that you're mentoring or that you are, are ministering to and having to teach them, that's a teachable moment. That is discipleship. Okay? That doesn't come out of a book. That is real discipleship, hands-on, in-the-moment type of discipleship. And that's another reason why we do mentoring. That's another reason why we do those life-on-life -life things, because that is discipleship. Curriculum is important, but it's only a vehicle. It's not the complete small group. It's not the complete life group, core group, whatever you guys call it. It's part of it, but it's not the whole thing. The real teaching happens when they have to apply that stuff. That real teaching happens when you go to them and you say, listen, I made a terrible mistake. I said something in, that I should never have said, and I'm really sorry about that. You know, when you can have that kind of conversation with a person that you are working with. Going back again to the initial relationship, um, you know, we, we use the words of churches as sharing our testimony of how we came to know Christ. Um, in the world, everybody has a story. Mm -hmm. So we ask our students to ask people their stories, to tell their stories. Even in the, like, We try to change our wording in, in a college setting because if, if they're not in the church setting or they haven't grown up in church, they don't know what that word means, but they do know what it means by, like, what's your story, why are you here? Mm -hmm. um, and that's a great way of, of an initial relationship is right. sharing stories. Right. 
there was a group of the university, um, when we do our involvement fair, it's just an enormous activity, but they actually put a couch out on the oval and it says, what's your story? And so people would sit on the couch and talk to people just out in the open, which was really, really cool. This idea of just like taking a moment, let me just hear who you are. Where did you come from? What is it you bring to the table? What do you struggle with? You know, what's your story? So it's pretty cool. So again, curriculum is just a, a, a vehicle for discussion and study, but it's not your life group, it's not your core group or your small group. It's the people that make it up is what it is. That's what your core group is. It's the people that make it up. And uh, grant, granted, there are great curriculum options for, for core groups, and I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about some the way we do it at Ohio State right now, that we are shifting as we get into missional communities on how we're doing that. Um, so curriculum is important, but it's not the end-all be-all. And if you rely on it, it will become a crutch, and it will stifle your small group. Um, one thing I do want to tell you, if you're looking for a really great resource on just like beginning training of small groups and beginning information, there's a book called Small Group University by Brad Lewis. Brad Lewis is um, a pastor, I want to say Montana. Yeah. Right, and it's great. It's super, super practical, and you can see it's super cheap or super small. So, like, people love it because they're like, "Oh," because I'll go, "I have a book to read for you to read," and they're like, "Ugh," and then I show it to them, and they're like, "Oh, that's fine." <laughs> so, um, yeah, and what I've talked to Brad on the phone. It, Yep. I've talked to him on the phone and I asked him, I said, well, what caused you to kind of create this book? Like, what was the purpose of this? And he said, well, I was teaching this stuff every year to my college students. I was teaching this stuff at the church. And finally I was like, why don't I just write a book? And so it was a great option. I do. Yes. So this is what happened. What I was doing in Chi Alpha spilled into my work in the church. So I do both. I serve both. My husband is a full-time Chi Alpha person. I help. I work with the women. I do, like, I oversee certain parts of, of the ministry as well. Um, and so we were teaching this. We were using it. And so I went to our pastors because they were, like, talking about small group training. And I'm like, well, so there's this really great book. And we've been using this. And so somehow I am now the small group trainer in our church. <laughs> and, um, you know, I don't know how that happened. So um, they, all of our Chi Alpha leaders read this the first year. So if they're coming into leadership for the first year and they're, all of our leaders serve as core group leaders. And as they come into the, the, so they'll be in Chi Alpha for a year, they'll have an opportunity to apply to be a leader. If they get accepted into leadership position, they, this is part of their required reading. Um, at the church, they had all of the, the life group leaders go through this book. And then I actually did a training session on the book to go through it, like important parts. Or, hey, what does this look like practical for you right now, where you are? Let's evaluate where you are. How can you use this? And so, um, yeah, this is great. So it's a great book. I can pass it around if you'd like to look at it. And I'll start it over here. Um, it's super practical. Um, it talks a lot about one-on-oneing. This is a term we use a lot in Chi Alpha, and that means that you are actually meeting with a person one-on-one. -on -one. And so, Diane, you and I would get together once a week or once every other week, and we'd have coffee, or we'd go to lunch, or we'd do our laundry together, or we'd do something, and go grocery shopping. But I would just want to know, what's going on in your life, Diane? What's the Lord teaching you? Like, what have you been reading in, in Scripture, and how is, like, the Lord challenging you in that? You know, and depending on where you are in that relationship depends on what your questions can look like. And so you spend that time investing into that person. Um, and one-on-ones are awesome because it's a moment for you to see how far people are coming, how, how, where the Lord is taking them. It's fun to look back now because I have worked with some of our students this is our second year. And I can go right where they were that very first day they walked into Chi Alpha to where they are now is so incredible. And those one-on-ones give me the insight because I don't always get to have those super candid conversations when everybody else is around. But I'm there and I'm present with them. I'm not on my phone. I'm not on my computer. I'm present and we're doing stuff together. And um, I get to find out where they are. And it's just cool to see how the Lord, you know, works through them. Yeah. We do lady with lady and guy with guy yeah, on one-on-ones. And there are times where we do, we just, like for us with Chi Alpha, um, we still want them to be able to have access, like the girls have access to me or the guys have access to her. So we meet in public settings. Yeah, very so public. With, you know, for us, it's usually at either the food court or the coffee shop. Yeah. So, and it's, it's not often that that happens, but sometimes there needs to be, there's another perspective, you know, and I think that helps too. We also don't want to feel like we're off limits to the other. The other gender, yeah. Yep. Small groups work great for extroverts. Yes. Introverts, however. Yes. Can you speak to that? Sure. I don't know if you're going to get to that. No, that's okay. I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that 
no, that's okay. I don't have it like a slide that says extroverts versus introverts. So I'll just <laughs> cover that right now. I think one of the things that you have to keep in mind, whether a person's an extrovert or an introvert, um, that it's, this is a process. So how you might connect with someone initially is going to be different. Like I might connect with Connie really well, you know, um, initially, but then it's a little bit more work. No offense, Diane, but it might be a little bit more work with Diane, right? I don't know. And so it's, again, learning to work through that relationship. And so some of the relationships are going to come easy, so, so easy. I have had students where one-on-ones are like awesome. And then I've had other students where I can't get them to talk for the entire time we're together. And I'm just like because I'm an extrovert, and I want to know all about your life, and I'm going to tell you all about my life, and you're not sharing, and I don't know what to do with you right now, right? So it's just, it's again, that investment process, and being able, you build trust with that person. And so maybe you have no spiritual conversation at all to begin with. Maybe it's to just do something that they like to do. Like my neighbor, he gardens, and so sometimes we shoot the breeze about gardening. I'm like, hey, so Fred, I call him Mr. Fred because that's what the kids call him. Mr. Fred, like, what are you, what are you planning this year? Well, I'm going to plan, da, 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 you know. I'm not sure we've had, I've had any spiritual conversations with Fred. But I'm building relationship with Fred. And so it's just taking different, it's just different. And so I think you just have to be able to weigh how this relationship look, looks different from this, the, from this other relationship. I think as a leader, if you are an introvert, two things. One, I have a degree in counseling, counselor education, and I've done personality assessments and all that, so I'm going to speak about extrovert, introvert personalities. A lot of times, introverts use the excuse that I'm an introvert, and I can't do this because I'm an introvert. I think that that is a lie from the enemy. I'm going to be really honest. Here's why. Because all that means when you say you're an introvert versus an extrovert means that in order to kind of like regain energy, you need to, some moments by yourself. That's all that means. It doesn't mean that you're quiet. I know really loud and rambunctious introverts, but I know when they're introverted, like they need to, they need their space. Me, I'm so extroverted that that I need people. Like even at 11 o'clock at night, I'm like, hey, you want to come over? I'm so dead tired, but come on over. Let's watch Netflix, you know? Because that's me. That's my personality, right? So it's understanding where your limitations are. And so if you are introverted, you just need to know, I've got to set aside time just to kind of lock my door and breathe, and I might not be able to schedule time with that person, you know, on Tuesdays at 6, because that's my time to just kind of unwind. Also, also, I'm sorry, the other thing on, if you want to say extrovert or introvert, is a lot of times as we have, if somebody's not naturally able to be outward, is teaching them how to do it. Mm-hmm. For example, is just as simple as, um, you know, there's somebody that's coming to your house that is very much an introvert and a part of it, but they don't know how to be involved, is you ask them to go on your door. And they'll go and open the door and they'll just stand there and not say anything. <laughs> But at least you got him to get the door so open. It's step by step. Yeah. Then you go over and you, you greet people with them. Yeah. Hey, meet my friend. I've done this. I'm like, hey, why don't you meet my friend Tom? Tom, this is George. You know, and like, then Tom's like, hi, George. You know, and yeah. I'm like, yeah, oh my God, you guys are talking. Okay, I'll see you later. And then I just kind of walk away and I leave him there. <laughs> So part of it, Bob, is super strategic. It has, it's very strategic, and you're very intentional about but, but how you're working with people. That automatically connects that person to that person by you also being yeah. involved in the process. We also do... Teaching them sorry. how to do it, it's also automatically connecting them so that they're already making a connection, and the introvert isn't the one that's having to do it. You're, you're you already did it for them. <laughs> yeah. I would say, though, that you have a win just by getting the introvert there. Yeah, right? Because setting them in a group situation right. like yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. And but I if think... They, if, you've a, if you've built a strong enough relationship with them, you're saying, hey, we're going to have a couple people over. I want you to come along. You know what I mean? If they trust you to not throw them under right. the bus, they're going to come because you asked them to be there. And maybe your first interaction with them, like outside of like, hi, my name is Bob, and, you know, and that exchange isn't that you're going to invite them to an event. It might be a cup of coffee. It's going to be that one-on-one. And so you just have to learn to navigate those relationships within kind of gauge personality. Yeah. Because when we're here, we don't have small groups. Yeah. We're a small church. We're relatively small, and we want to move into that. Yep. We're going to talk more on how to give to small groups, because I'm assuming Mr. Fred Yeah. not part of your small group. Nope. Right. So that's part of the evangelical. Right. And, uh, but, we want to build. Yeah. 
And I oh, think that the thing, and that's what we're going to talk about, is how do you build small groups in what we call missional communities? It's, it's a shift. What time is this thing over? 3.30. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. We definitely got to get moving. Okay. So where do we go from here? Before we can move out, we need to look in, right? One of the things that we, before we start talking about missional communities and this outward stuff, is that we've got to understand who we are in Jesus. We have to understand the gospel. Let me just tell you, I have been super rocked this entire year as I've been going through and, and doing more research and studying on small groups and scripturally. And um, I'm in a missional cohort with a bunch of Chi Alpha people from the Great Lakes area. And we've been doing studies on missional community. And the Lord has been rocking me because one of the things that, that has, the Lord's really been showing me is that I never really truly understood the gospel. Right? Because we know the gospel is what? You come to Jesus because you're a sinner and you get saved and Jesus comes and lives in your heart. Right? As a kid, we learned that. And, or however, but Jesus comes and lives inside of you. And then you um, go to heaven when you die. Right? That's kind of like it in a nutshell. What? Yeah, the high points of it, right? That's like it in a nutshell. And I struggled with that because I struggle with being a perfectionist at things. Right? <laughs> Okay, so here I am like, I'm going to make, I'm going to definitely follow all these things, right? And knowing that I wasn't going to follow all those things because... I, I make sure she doesn't follow yeah. all those things. <laughs> <laughs> Your commentary is killing me. Okay, so understanding that, that I didn't recognize my own need, my own present need for grace. Does that make sense? And so understanding that the gospel, yes, Jesus came because sin entered the world, destroyed relationship between man and God. You know, it was all, it was all um, these things we had to do to make connection with God, right? And the Lord, God was like, I got to fix this. <laughs> he sends Jesus. Jesus comes. He dies for us. He comes back to life because he loves us, because there's eternal life, right? All of those things. But I was always missing that part about he sends the Holy Spirit, that's that whole full gospel we talk about, right? The Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah, I believed in speaking tongues. I was, you know, um, filled with the Holy Spirit at a young age. But I, I was missing that piece. And I was also missing that the gospel is for yesterday, you know, when I was, first came to Jesus, today, as I'm walking with Jesus, and for the future. Does that make sense? And so what I realized was is that, man, I need the gospel probably more today than I did when I first came to Jesus. And I'm going to need the gospel tomorrow and the next day and 10 years from now. I'm going to need it all the way through. And starting to understand that that's where people are. We always say, well, those sinners. Listen, we're sinners. We are still sinners with Jesus because we, that's how we are. That's our, that's our human nature. Okay, you, can, you will not go one perfect day without having a, a sinning. Let me just be honest. If you can raise your hand, I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. But there's no, nobody is going to go one day with, that, with being perfect. It's just not going to happen. And if you think you, that's the case, then you're diminishing the gospel. And that's what the Lord began to say to me. He's like, you're diminishing the gospel. He says, you need the gospel today. You know? And so if we can understand that, when we talk about this context of now moving out, out of these groups that we're just church people into our communities, we understand that those people need the gospel, and so do I. It's not just those sinners or those people who don't know Jesus. It's all of us, because we all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so understanding who we are, who the gospel is for, it's for all of us, even today. It's for you and it's for me. And what is it for? Did you flip it? We're called to a relationship with Jesus, which is the covenant piece, and then given a responsibility to represent him to others, which is the kingdom piece. Okay? So there's the covenant and the kingdom. So there's this shift of culture, right? Missional communities. They're about building an extended family on mission where everyone contributes and everyone is supported. Introvert or not, everyone contributes. Everyone. Missional communities do life together. They include three components. Here's these pieces, I think, that are going to be radical for you. But they include what we call uptime. This is our time with God um, through worship, prayer, scripture, teaching, giving thanks, etc. It's our uptime because it's between us and God. Okay? 
Then we have what we call our end time, and that's time with body of believers. That's our time with believers. So on Sunday mornings, for the most part, that's end time and up time, right? It's with believers, and it's geared towards the Lord, okay? This is where we take care of each other. We spend time together. Um, that's the end time. And then we have what we call our out time. This is time with those who don't know Jesus, okay? We're real good at in and up time, aren't we? We're real good at in and up time. Yeah, and Wednesday, and whenever we have our small groups, right? But we're, we struggle with the out time. We struggle with the out time. Missional communities cannot simply be a good idea or a program. They're rooted in vision for mission and a passion birthed in the heart of a leader through prayer. Remember Tom talked about intentionally praying for the people that you were going to minister to? This is it. This is where those people in your, your small group get together that love Jesus, and you're like, all right, Lord, where are you sending us? Who are you sending us to? Where are we going? What do you want us to do? Hey, great, I love potlucks and hanging out with people as much as the next person. But if we're not being missional in what we're doing, we've lost it. We've missed the boat. I know this is hard to hear, and you probably weren't expecting this, but we've missed it. It's not working. Can you move the next one? It's not working. There it goes. Listen, when we get involved in people's lives, it's messy. It is so messy. When you find out that, you know, the lady at work, her husband has been cheating on her, and she is now with somebody else, they're not divorced. I mean, it's just, things get messy. People are messy. I'm messy. I love this picture because this is what it's like, right? The non-believer brings you to their mess. And you look at it and go, oh, that's the biggest mess I ever did see, right? And you might have that thought, don't ever say that out loud, but you might have that thought, you know? But that's what it is. You've got to know you're getting the gloves on, you're getting the trash bags out, and you're going through that with them. You're going to dig, them, dig through that with them. And that's the idea of missional communities is, okay, yeah, I'm going to do life with this person, but it's not just going to be a Christian person. It's going to be somebody who doesn't know Jesus. It's going to be somebody who needs to see God's love. They, right, they see who you are, how you're walking through it with them. Yeah, right. It's messy. Working with people is messy. Not just Christians. When you get out and you, you start inviting your coworkers or the Lord speaks to you about your neighborhood. You know, um, we were talking, you can tell them now about the neighborhood, what we did a few. Um, just time to time. Okay. Um, we, we have, uh, my, my brothers go to, or my kids, I'm sorry, my children my one boy goes to elementary school. The school's about six houses down, actually, at the end of the street. And um, so we have a lot of neighbors during, especially when it's warm out, a lot of neighbors walk their kids to school down the street. Lots. During the cold time, not so much. But we brewed some coffee, brought it out there, had some to-go cups, put up a table. And uh, I, walked, I walked to see down with Zechariah, and she sat at the table first, and we came back. And some of the neighbors walked out, and they're like, what are you guys doing? And we're like... And Charity's like, we're having coffee. You want some coffee? And they're like, maybe on the way back. So on the way back, we were able to talk to some of the uh, some neighbors that we've mm. talked to multiple times, but also some people that we've never met before. Mm. And it was just a cool way of meeting our neighbors. Mm. I mean, it's simple as you bring a pot of coffee and offer it to the neighbors. Now, not all of you have a school right next to your house. But it's going to get messy, you know? And I think that's one of the things I want you to understand, that... It's going to be messy, and you might not even, the first time you meet with that person, or the first couple times you meet with the person, you may never even have a conversation about Jesus at all. But you have a responsibility to leave that meeting and begin to pray like you've never prayed before. Right? Pray, pray, pray for them, because that's something you can control. Right? You don't have to wait on the other side for God to say, I'm ready to hear you. Right? He always is. He's ready to hear us. You know? Nope. Just flip the next slide. I can't, my thing's not working. Look. All right, so you're probably thinking, oh, man, we need a readjustment. <laughs> we need a readjustment and maybe the way we do our, our small groups or our core groups. We need a, a readjustment in the way we're, we're bringing people together. First of all, that's normal, and it should be expected because it was the exact same thing that happened to us because we were not doing that in Chi Alpha originally. And one of the things that Chi Alpha prides itself on is our small group model, right? It's one of the things we pride ourselves on. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, are we, what, are we doing this wrong? Wait. Wait, what? 
And so had to have a moment where we were just, or multiple moments, where we had to start thinking through, okay, what is it the Lord's trying to speak to us through this right now? Right? People's lives change, and schedules change. How many of you have ever led a, court or a, a small group, and you're like, I can't get anybody to come? Yeah? Oh, right. I can't get anyone to come. Or you were, like, really good for, like, four months, and then all of a sudden, you like, your attendance drops. And it's like you and the bowl of chips, you know, that's all that's left, you know? Because schedules change, so you have to be willing to go in and adjust. So maybe you're not, like, some of our life groups at church, they don't meet every week. They meet all together once a month, but throughout the month, they're doing stuff together. Like, maybe just part of them. Like, oh, I'm going to go to coffee with this person. And so they, they do that throughout the month. So you've got to readjust. For those of you that don't have small groups or want to start small groups, you have to have people that are willing to go out and talk to people. You've got to be willing. You know, you have to put forth yourself, as I was saying, is to be vulnerable, be open. You have to, and, and really, it's as if you don't have small groups in your church and you're wanting to do small groups, people that you connect with at your church or you make sure that you greet each day at your church, those probably are going to be the easiest people for invite to a small group setting. Mm-hmm. You know, you shouldn't all have the same small group, you know, you want, you want, so if, if Vinny and Stephanie, you have the same friends and, and you close to the same people, then really having two separate small groups might not be the best thing because you have the same group of friends. But somebody that, you know, say Connie, she hangs out with, uh, with the ladies over here and you're, you're more in a couple group, and she's going to be able to focus more with women. But right. I'm saying is for starting small groups, Pray about the people groups in your church that you want to minister to. If it's young families, if it's older families. And it's not just your church. I mean, it's the people I mean, group that the Lord's the calling you to. Yeah. But I mean, like, I mean, they're trying to, they're wanting to start them even. Yeah. But then also is think about, okay, if I'm starting this small group, um, my, who, you know, do I want to influence my neighbors? And if my neighbors have kids, then I would, I want, you know, is my house going to be available to have young families in it because they're young families. <laughs> so maybe you, you know, be praying about what what doors need to be open and what doors need to be shut with that. So, so do we, what time do we end? 3.30? About 3.30, Okay, I'm going to... They're opening. Okay. I want to start, start... I want to move real quickly yep. through this. Sorry. Um, so the question you need to ask yourself is what people group is God calling you to in this season? So... This is what I'm going to encourage you to do. If you're getting ready to start some core groups or small groups or you are coming in and you're like, I need to make an adjustment, I'm going to encourage you, go to the Lord. Lord, who is it? The, what group of people are you calling me to? Okay? Um, we had to do this with our Kyle students as well. We went in and we said, God, who are you calling us to? And we had to make adjustments based on that. And it might mean that people shift from your church in, in small groups. They shift to different ones. Or they come alongside you and they say, yeah, I believe this too. I believe the Lord is calling this group to minister to this particular group of people. Um, one of the other things that I think is really important is pray for people of peace. Okay, that's a term in missional communities, people of peace. And that means those are people that don't necessarily know the Lord, but man, they are awesome. They come over, they hang out, you've built relationship with them. You probably have those, and I would encourage you to have people in your life like that, that are not necessarily Christians, but your families hang out, you do stuff together, you go for lunch. They're people that you know probably don't hold the same viewpoints that you do, but they're people of, they're people of peace. Um, I have one particular person in my life who um, uh, identifies of a different sexual orientation, and we clearly do not have the same views, but man, that person is so supportive of me and just very loving and caring, and um, they're a person of peace in my life. So even though they don't know the Lord and they're not serving the Lord, they're a person of peace. And those are the people that when you're having group and you're like, hey, you're going to come over tonight to hang out, could you make some, like, whatever they like to do. They might make cookies, or they might go, yeah, that'll be awesome. We're going to play cards, and I'm going to bring some cookies over. Great. So whatever that looks like, um, again, it moves that idea of, of um, uh, people coming alongside you that don't necessarily know the Lord, because people of peace will be people that eventually come to the Lord, you know? And so I want to skip up to this um, uh, chart here. This is um, a model from Mike Breen. Mike Breen writes a lot of missional community things, B-R-E-E-N. And this came from, I think it was called Leading Missional Communities. It's on the table. I can look for you. But anyways, so people of peace, this is his model of how people um, come to the Lord. A lot of times, you know, we want to have those moments where we're like, okay, um, 
yeah, this person, I want them to get saved. I want them to get saved right now. And it's like four years later and they still don't know Jesus. Do you know what I'm talking about? You have people in your life like that. And you get frustrated because you're like, Lord, I've been pouring into this person. I've been sowing into this person and there's nothing coming out of it. And so what Mike Breen says is that we've got to understand that the sowing and reaping process takes longer than what we think that it takes. And sometimes it's years in that process because you're working through so much stuff. And so um, in this particular model, you move from no gospel or spiritual content, no gospel or spiritual content, to high gospel and spiritual content. So your small group might be a crafting group. They come over and they hang out. You guys do crafts and stuff together. No curriculum. No devotional. No Bible study. Okay? And then as they begin to move through these different levels, I wish I had more time to go through all of these levels with you today. But as you begin to move, they move through these different levels, um, there's certain things that you can do to help them move through these levels. But the bridges, these are bridges, they look like pound signs, but these bridges are trust. As you build trust with them, the more that you can move this way. Okay? A lot of times we just want to go out and we want to preach the gospel right on the corner, and it's great, and there's um, time for that, and I believe in evangelism, but that's not a, the, the only way people are going to come to Jesus. Okay? Some people are coming in with hurts, they're coming in with stuff, baggage, you know, pe- uh, bad experiences with churches, and so we can't just jump right into that. But we build relationship, and so it might be, hey, if we're going to just crochet, or guys, it might be we're going to go play ball, or we're going to have a video game thing, that's what we do. We get together, you know, once every two weeks, and we play video games, and we eat, because that's what we like. Barbecue, Yeah, right. Could be a barbecue where you're inviting your neighbors over. So we... Yeah. So anything that, that's, that, that's at that sewing one, where you're beginning to work down through them. If you go through examples of um, sewing one or S1, dinner with you and a few friends from your missional community. So this is where you can say, you know, maybe you have a friend, you and Connie, right? You guys are friends, and you're in this missional community, and you meet Deborah, who is not a Christian, but the three of you decide you're going to go to dinner. That's an S1 activity. A trip to the park, right, where you take maybe the people from your, your group to the, to the park. Um, catching a movie, watching football. I don't necessarily think that movies are very relationship building just because you don't really get to talk through them unless you're a movie talker like me. Um, <laughs> sewing two, S2, a meal with people from your missional community and people of peace where before eating together, you share something you're thankful for and then pray for the food. Did you see that? I was in S2 before I even said I was going to pray for my food. I might pray, but I might pray like this. I would pray, but I'm going to pray with my eyes closed. Um, Story time with a few friends at a local bookstore where the books being read might have some sort of spiritual content. Watching a movie, talking about spiritual implications. Meals, sharing highs and lows of the day. So what was your highs of the week? What were some good things that we can celebrate with you? What were some lows of the week? Okay, that's in an S2. S3, I love that they talk about that Jesus let people experience the kingdom before he explained the kingdom. He let them experience love. He let them experience acceptance, not of their sin, but of them as a person, right, before he explained it to them. That was one of the beauties of Jesus. Like, you got to experience it, and then it was like, what is this? It's so great. And he's like, let me tell you about that. What are you saying? <laughs> he did, he did just go, yeah, the only way to go to Everybody, I'm God. Just want you all to know. And they were open. Yeah. I think the other piece here to, to keep in mind that um, Mike Breen talks about examples of S3. That was, that's the first time that an invitation to church comes up. Let me just be clear about that. It's the first time an invitation to church comes up. Where do we usually put it? Number one, right? We put it in. I've been in church all my life, and I was one of my 
right? We tell people from the pulpit, invite your friends to church. I mean, it's good, and they might come. But what he's saying is, is that we've got to understand there's these, these levels, right, of investing in people. We're sowing into people. And then we get into what we call reaping. This is where people come to the Lord, right? They're saying, you know what? I've seen, I've seen all this happen. I've never experienced love like this before. And I'm ready to experience. I want what you have. I want what you have. And some people, they're going to go through this model or something similar to this in like, I don't know, six months. Some are going to take years. I remember when I was in eighth grade, there was this girl. Um, and we used to ride the bus together and stuff. And she was Jehovah Witness. And um, every day we'd get on the bus and I'd preach to her. And she'd talk to me about what she believed. And I'd preach to her and talk about what she believed. And it's so and so and so and so and so. And it was disheartening because I'm like, when is she going to come to Jesus, you know? And we were like in 10th grade, I think, 11th grade. And she comes into to chemistry lab one day and she goes, well, guess what, Charity? And I said, what? And she said, I accepted Jesus last night. And I said, oh, you did. In the back of my mind, I was like, how come I wasn't able to be there to do it? Right? Because all these years I was doing this. All of these years I was sewing and sewing and sewing. And the thing is, is that you might not be the person that does the reaping of the sewing. And you've got to be okay with that. Does that make sense? You've got to be okay with that. Last big thing I want to tell you, because I need to let you go, is rhythms. I want to cover rhythms. Okay, go ahead. This is, okay, for those, you know, for those that are, that are tra- wanting to start small groups in the churches, if they're already saved and they already know Christ, they're, and they're seeking that close relationship, they're going to want to get plugged into a small group. So if you say you're going to launch small groups and your focus is, you know, we're going to be crafting, we're going to be trying to communicate with uh, people in this neighborhood, if you want to do neighborhoods, or if you have zones in your churches or certain areas, or, or say, you know, you have a group that plays basketball each week, um, if you, you know, the, the point is, again, in, up, and out. I mean, if there's no, if there's no out, then all it is is just another Bible study at church. So, what, so, you know, it is easier for people who know the Lord to get involved in a small right. You know, the, the, the sowing has already taken place. You've already built relationships with them. So, say, hey, we're going to have a small group, you know, and, and the purpose of small group is to build close relationships with getting to know you more and being able to challenge and encourage each other more. Um, that is easier in a way that there's, that there's Christians. Like, for us as on campus, um, during fall semester, we have a, you know, Ohio State has a welcome week, and they have, the university has events all day long, every day long. I can't compete with what the university does, but I can join along in with it. And so what is this? We find students that are Christian, and they're like, yeah, I want to hang out with you. And they just jump right in. But those that are like, oh, you know, I don't really know if I'm interested in a Christian group, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I definitely want to go to this event, or I definitely want to go to the, uh, the to Tron on the uh, on the Oval and watch the movie, or I want to go to watch Wipeout in the Olympic Size Swimming Pool. And while you're going in there, you build those relationships and you build those connections. And 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 then the more that they get to know, you know, you, the more they're willing to share about themselves. Right. And it grows. I mean, it is different when you're already in a church and you do already have relationships. There's not so much of, of sewing, but you are still sewing because you still are getting to know people that you may yep. not know as much in the church. Right. You know, if you have a church of 500 people, you don't know everybody. If you're in a church of 200 people, you don't know everybody. You know, depending upon how much you go after people after church or before church to talk to them, that's how many people you know. I want to make sure we have time for questions, too. Real quick, last thing I want to tell you is rhythms. Um, what are your rhythms of your group? Rhythms are predictable patterns that instill a sense of stability in your community. Rhythms are a predictable pattern that instill a sense of um, stability in your community. So it might be that you meet every other Wednesday or whatever that time is that you're meeting. It might be that you have a coffee time associated. Um, it could be that on Sunday mornings you all come and you sit together, the ones that are part of your missional community that are already Christians and that have been committed to church, right? So those are part of your, your rhythms. Um, the book, I would encourage you to read this book, Leading Missional Communities by Mike Breen, but he talks about um, the huddle, which I think is really cool. It's something that they do um, with their people that is just like a spaghetti dinner. They don't even talk about Jesus. They get together on those uh, out of a month, two Tuesdays out of the month, and they have dinner together. 
That's what they do. So they invite the community over into their home. Hey, we're going to have dinner tonight. Don't forget it's family dinner. And so they bring their families or whatever. And so that's what they do. And so the thing about rhythms is that things change. So as people become, as we, they move through the sowing and the, into the reaping, your rhythms have to change. So this was a model of the first one which I showed you, and then they got to a point where they had to make some changes, so they made changes. They kept their huddle, but then they opened up other things. They did informal gatherings with their people of peace, pops, right? So they were pe the people that don't necessarily know the Lord, but they're open, and they're, they're, um, you've built relationships with them, and so they were doing informal things with them, and so they began to change, and then they had to change again, and look, they morphed into small group study. And so one of the things that we have started to do, to do at Ohio State is that we have shifted our discipleship core groups. Um, two times a month, we are doing content, and we're working through content. One time a month, we adopt a missions project that we do together. Like this month, my girls decided they wanted to write random note cards um, with encouraging scripture verses and stuff and place them all over campus. And so that's what we did. We spent one entire core group sitting there writing those out. And it was funny because we had prayed that the Lord would lead us to what to, what to write. And it was interesting to go this girl and this girl and this girl and this. All of us wrote very similar things without even talking about it because the Lord had laid that on our heart. And so that was a project that we adopted. And then one other time a month, we're going to just have a hangout where we just, what's up? What's up in your life? What's going on? Share with God what's going on. Or maybe we go do pottery together or maybe we go do this together or whatever it might be. So. Any quick questions? I will say after, because we kept you, I think. I don't know what time this was supposed to end. Oh, okay. Then we have like five questions, or four minutes, five minutes for questions. Any questions that you guys have for us? Yes. Uh, uh, available. Thanks. Yeah, I had to think about that. Out of context. Yeah. YouTube videos regarding small groups. Um, you know, the, the early churches were small groups. Yeah. Um, another good book is Saturate by Jeff Vanderstadt. If you Google Saturate, um, it's this whole idea of the gospel, what I was sharing about the gospel and it kind of being in part of your whole life. And when it's part of your whole life, how it can then be part of other people's lives in your life? <laughs> and so... Um, uh, it's, it's a great book. It has a really annoying cover. It's orange with this, like, blue spiral thing, so you'll know that that's what it is. Yeah. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. Some of them. So some of them will come into that group, and you will do that, and, but you're going to do that together. So the life on... Yeah, the life-on-life life piece. We believe that discipleship is more than just going through curriculum. That's spending time with them. That's learning about them. That's walking through. It takes different shapes. And so you still are discipling your people, but they're coming alongside you to then minister. So you're doing it together. So I might say, Tom, I feel like the Lord is calling me to this people group. Will you join me in this? And he might say, you know what, it's interesting you said that because the Lord has also been leading me to that. Yes, let's do that together. And then we, we as a team, we come together, we pray, and we, we go where the Lord says to go. I mean, it's kind of how small missions work. Small groups is not just your Bible study that you get together once a week. Small groups is spending time together throughout the week, throughout the month. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's do you, have, you have your church, you have your, your family. This is just a small part of the bigger family. So we're just a smaller family of the bigger family. Yeah. So you, Sorry, you have another question. Yeah, you know, so like for us, for our students on campuses, is, you know, Bible study is one part of their week. Getting together for lunch or getting together and studying together. That's part of their small group, their core group on, on life. So whether it's at church. So it's, you know, if it's Sunday mornings, you see people from your small group that are there. Well, those that don't know Christ or aren't quite comfortable with church yet aren't going to be there. But, you yeah. know, if, if you go out for lunch afterwards, you can invite yeah. them to come to lunch. Hey, we're all going to lunch at, at 1230 today or 2 today. You want to come? Yeah. 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 Okay. okay. Most Good. people have a bad taste in their mouth for church that have an issue with, with church. Yeah. So not pushing that. Yeah. Well, and it's, again, it's doing what Jesus did. Yeah. It's his model. Mm -hmm. You're having, you're yeah. Right. Right. And we're not all called. We're back it up. We are all called to be missionaries. 
we need to understand that. Just because, you know, Bob, you're going to, I forget, sorry, Switzerland, you know, we're at Ohio State, we're missionaries by title and with the AG, but we're all missionaries. You guys are all missionaries. Wherever you are, your workplaces, the church, the communities that you're in, every people that you, it could be your, the people that are part of your son's soccer group, right? That's where the Lord has you, and that's mission. That's where you are, and that's ministering to people where you are. Missionary, you're, you're called to be a missionary. The Bible says that we're to go, all of us are supposed to go into all the world. It doesn't say just the missionaries. You know, it just doesn't say just the people who think they have a calling of missions on their life. We're all missionaries. Yeah. Yes. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have, have a neighborhood picnic. Yeah. Say, hey, like a block party. Hey, we're gonna have a block party. I want to meet my neighbors. You know, I don't know you. Come over for a barbecue. We're gonna provide the meat. You bring a side. You bring a side. Absolutely. Be in your house. We used to do that a lot, actually. We used to do this a lot, actually. Yeah. And so that comes over time when they start to be more open to talk about that. Yeah. Right. Right. And they might say, they might say, you know, I'd like more information about. Would you? Could we talk about this the next time we get together? Would you be open to that? You know, and again, it's not pushing it on them. It's not manipulating them. It's cultivating relationships, showing them love so that they, you know, they know that love. And then they want to know where it came from, you know. And so why, me, why did you, why are you befriending me? You know, like you and I, we, I think we why believe very differently. Yeah. <laughs> why do you keep feeding me? I just don't. Our stu- the students are real easy. All you have to do is feed them. So you got them. You, like, win them. Yeah. You know, so. All right. Well. <laughs> yeah. Thank you.